You are tuned to the Nachum Siegel Network on jmandtheam.org and nachumsiegel.com. Stay tuned for JM Sunday with Matis Weingast.
Welcome to another great edition of JM Sunday. Matis Wine guest with you here on the stream, NahumSiegel.com, JM in the AM, dot O-R-G, 7.05 Eastern Time in the morning. It is uh, AM, of course, and uh, we are here live with you as we are every Sunday morning. Today we are going to have a uh, very interesting show. We're in the period of time of the three weeks, so our music will reflect that as it has been on the stream for the past number of days. We'll be playing some uh, slow, uh, mostly a cappella. I think just about all a cappella music this morning. And uh, it'll be slow, medium tempo on that reflective of the three weeks. 7.30, Rabbi Goldwasser. 8 o'clock, Hannah Levy-Julian with our news from Israel. And then at around uh, 8.10 after the news from Israel, we'll be joined by Professor Lawrence Schiffman. He'll be making a uh, repeat performance, as it were, uh, here on JM Sunday. He was with us back in February. And we'll be talking to him about his uh, recent visit with the Pope in uh, Rome uh, this, that occurred this past week. And uh, we'll be talking about the organization that, uh, that with which he is affiliated that orchestrated this uh, meeting and uh, some very fascinating uh, topics uh, to relate regarding uh, his meeting with the Pope. And then we'll also talk about the uh, three weeks. So it's, been, it's going to be an extended time with uh, Professor Feldman. And we'll be starting at around 8.10 or so, right after the news from Israel. And uh, in the meantime, we're going to play lots of uh, Jewish music appropriate for the time period. We're going to get going right away. This is the Yeshiva Boys Choir from the Amen album with Alna Haros here on JM Sunday. Na 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 
Silberstein here on JM Sunday. Matis Wine guest with you. Uh, drop uh, late for Rabbi Goldwasser. We'll get to him in a couple of seconds at 7.32 a.m. Eastern Time here on the stream, jmandtheam.org. We'll pick up right after Rabbi Goldwasser, and I'll tell you the, uh, I'll give you the rundown of the music we played and uh, tell you more about what's happening on today's show. It is, uh, just want to remind you, JM Sunday is brought to you by Adorama. It's more than a camera store. The official electronics retailer of the Nachum Siegel Network, 1-800-223-2500. For cameras, audiovisual equipment, electronics, portable entertainment, all the things that you need for your vacation time. If you're going anyplace, uh, get something over there. You can take the pictures, video, whatever you need. 1-800-223-2500, 42 West 18th Street in New York City, 42 West 18th Street, New York City, Adorama Imaging and Beyond since 1975. Official sponsor of the Nachum Siegel Network. At this time, each and every Sunday through Thursday, we present to you Rabbi David Goldwasser, Rabbi Goldwasser's words, L'Zech and Nishmas, Rabbi Zev, Rabbi Yosef Halevi. Here is Rabbi David Goldwasser with Morning Chizuk. Good morning. This specific period of the three weeks seems to imply that throughout the rest of the year, we don't really need to contemplate the Golos in the Chorban, the destruction of the Beis Amikdosh. However, we know that every day we pray in our Tfilos. We 
We say, May our eyes behold your return to Zion. In Birchas Amazon, in the grace after meals, we say, Rachem no Hashem Elokeinu, may Hashem have compassion on Zion. On Yom Tov we recall, Mibnei Chatoeinu Golinu Me'aretzeinu, because of our sins, we've been exiled from the land. So we do have references throughout the days of the year to the Chorben Beis Amikdash. Why do we need this special time to remember the Chorben? The Dubna Magid tells of a wealthy merchant, who had a son who rebelled against him. The father was compelled to send him away. The son was a big Balgaiva. He was very arrogant and was sure that he was going to be able to manage on his own. He went out into the big world and tried all different types of work. Although the father was very angry at his son, he still loved him, and he would often inquire after his son. He heard that his son was wandering in the city, living from hand to mouth, and he hadn't met with any success. But the father hoped that his son had learned his lesson and had been humbled by the experience and would finally come back home. The father waited to welcome him with open arms. One day, a wealthy merchant who came from the city arrived to discuss business with his father. They discussed their business, and eventually the subject of the son came up. When do you intend to bring your son back home? The father was asked. The father answered, When he's going to ask me forgiveness, I will certainly welcome him back home. The merchant said to him, Let me be the agent for your son. I will apologize and express his remorse and beg you to take him back. The father said, No way. You can't be a messenger, not on behalf of my son and not for me. The merchant said, Why not? You would accept the word of a messenger for other things. True, said the father, but I want to see that my son is truly remorseful for what he did. If he'll come to me and tell me that he wants to begin anew and he regrets the past, I will listen. But right now, you don't represent him. You come to me on a business matter, and you just happen to ask me about my son. Similarly, says the Dubna Magid, every day in our tefillahs, we ask for good health and for livelihood. Incidentally, we also recall the Golos and the Chorban, we remember to tack it onto our tefillahs at the beginning or at the end. However, that's not enough. Such a tefillah is not what's required. Our sages established the three weeks so that we can specifically focus on the korban and its effects. We concentrate fully on the meaning of our tefillahs for the geula, for the redemption. Then our Father in Heaven will welcome and accept our tefillahs and return to Shechina to Tzion. This has been Rabbi David Goldwasser, bringing you morning chizik. Have a nice day. Thank you, Rabbi Goldwasser. Mataswan guest here with you on JM Sunday, 7.36 in the morning, Eastern Time. I promised you a rundown of the songs we played, starting with Moda'ani at 7 o'clock, followed by Al Naharos, Bavel from the Yeshiva Boys Choir. Uh, after that, uh, Hillel Omer from Eli Gerstner. A uh, Ari Goldwag with uh, his uh, his song entitled Superman. Uh, Ohad with the Yala Viavo, and we ended off with uh, Tzvi Silverstein with Mi Ale. That's the first half hour of this show here on JM Sunday. We're with you live every Sunday morning from seven to nine a.m. on the stream jmtheam.org, nachamsegel.com. When you get a chance, go to our Facebook page, please. We are uh, 
marching towards uh, a nice goal of 100 on our Facebook page of likes. So when you're on Facebook, when you can get on there or uh, tell your friends to go to JM Sunday on Facebook and like the page, please. We really want to get up there as soon as possible. It's a great way to keep up with what's going on on JM Sunday. 8 o'clock, we'll have the news from Israel and with Hannah Levy-Julian, followed by... uh, followed by a, what, what I'm sure will be a great discussion with Professor Lawrence Schiffman. He is a vice provost at Yeshiva University. He, of course, is an international scholar on Dead Sea Scrolls and on Jewish history. Uh, he joined us last in February. He'll be back this morning, and we'll be talking about his visit as part of an organization uh, this past week with the Pope in Rome. And uh, we'll hear about what he had to say. We'll uh, get some reaction from him on the comments that the Pope said at the meeting. And uh, we'll find out the state of uh, Vatican-Israel relations. In, uh, in addition, we'll be talking about the three weeks, this time period in Jewish history that we reflect upon now, uh, what happened during that time period, what people don't realize about this time period. Uh, so uh, we'll tap into his vast knowledge of information on the three weeks. So it's going to be an extended interview. We'll break it up with a little bit of music. Uh, it really won't be an interview. I guess it'll be more of a discussion. So I'm looking forward to that right after the news from Israel. We'll be playing more uh, great inspirational Jewish music for this time period uh, until then and uh, and in between then. Uh, what else do I want to tell you? Tomorrow, for those uh, Canadian listeners, for our Canadian friends up north, because we are here in the New Jersey area. Tomorrow is Canada Day. It is similar to our 4th of July. Canada Day celebrates the anniversary of the uh, July 1st, 1867 enactment to the British North America Act. How do you like that? It united the three colonies. I did not know this. I looked it up. It united three colonies into a single country called Canada. And those three colonies were Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, and the province of Canada. And now all three are known as uh, as Canada. So that's, cele- that's celebrated tomorrow, I guess. Uh, I mean, it comes close to July 4th, of course, which is uh, here in the United States, our um, national uh, declaration, of our Independence Day, which uh, commemorates the adoption of the Declaration of Independence. A couple of years before the... Uh, the Canada Act took place, just a couple. It was in 1776. So we have a lot of those uh, celebrations around the uh, North American continent this week. And you know what? I, I think I'll uh, I'll speak to, uh, maybe I can get a question into Professor Schiffman about uh, about how, what, what, what should we do here in the United States in terms of celebrating July 4th. I mean, it is the three weeks, so things will be tempered, but just the of commemorating the 4th of July uh, in uh, in our history here. So mark that down, try to get that in. If you have any questions you'd like me to ask, Professor Schiffman, send me an email, uh, matis at nachamsegel.com, matis at uh, m-a-t-t-e-s at nachamsegel.com, n-a-c-h-u-m-s-e-g, al.com or post it on the JM Sunday Facebook page. Put that question on, like the page first if you haven't already, please, 
and uh, post a question. We'll try to get it. Uh, we'll try to get it on in our segment with him tomorrow morning. Well, I'm jumping the gun. Actually, after the show here today, we'll have on the stream a, an encore presentation of the Book of Life with Charlie Harari. Great programming throughout the day. And tomorrow morning, 6 a.m., Nachum will be back with the J.M. and the A.M. 9 a.m. on the stream, Mayor Weingarten with the Israel Show. Happens every week. Here on the stream, J.M. and the A.M. dot O.R.G., com. If you go to Nachum Siegel's uh, website, com, you'll find all different ways of listening to the show and the various parts of the stream. There's uh, all different apps are on there and the listener lines, so uh, and of course the over-the-air for those portions of the uh, programming that are over-the-air. So go there, uh, check it out, and you'll get all the information you need. We're going to go back to the music now. Who do we have up next? Avrami Flam here on JM Sunday. Thanks for listening, everyone. La, 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 la.
Manachai from Shalshelis here on JM Sunday, 8 o'clock in the morning. We're going to go to our news from Israel live in just a few seconds. Before Shalshelis, we are at 613, Kol Zimra and Avrami Flam after Rabbi, Rabbi Goldwasser. Don't forget, coming up right after the news from Israel, uh, my, or just about right after my, uh, the news from Israel, my discussion with uh, Professor Lawrence Schiffman. Should be very, very interesting. We have a lot of questions to ask him. He'll be talking about his visit this past week with the uh, Pope. Right now, we go to Hannah Levy Julian, senior correspondent and editor for the Israel National News English Division and the news broadcaster in Israel. She joins us every Sunday morning to bring us the news from Israel. Good morning, Hannah. Good morning, and how are you? Great. How are you doing? And what's the news from Israel today? Doing fine, and uh, here in Israel, as you know, Secretary of State John Kerry has been uh, doing a uh, a redo of the shuttle diplomacy that was so reminiscent of Henry Kissinger. He's been going back and forth between the Palestinian Authority, Jordan, and uh, the folks at the Knesset and in the Prime Minister's office. Um, he was in Ramallah three times, and he was with uh, the Prime Minister and also with President Shimon Peres. And uh, at the moment, he is now finishing up all those meetings and getting ready to leave this country. Um, the Prime Minister, in the meantime, has spoken with the Cabinet. And what the upshot of all of those meetings is that there has not been a lot of progress, at least publicly. Behind closed doors, we're not really sure what's been going on. There's certainly been enough progress so that there will be other meetings in the future. Um, What the Prime Minister is saying to the people of Israel is this. There won't be a diplomatic agreement that endangers Israel's citizens, and I believe, I think it's vital, I'm quoting him now, I think it's vital that any agreement, if we reach one, will be brought before the people. This is what he said to the cabinet this morning. Israel is prepared for immediate negotiations with no preconditions, Netanyahu said. This is something he's repeated repeatedly, over and over and over again. We're not putting any obstacles in the way of renewed talks toward a permanent agreement and a peace deal between us and the Palestinians. However, he, he added... There are things we will strongly insist on during the talks themselves, primarily security. And what he said was that any uh, agreement that was reached would have to be taken to a referendum to the Israeli people. That is new. So that it, is new. Does it seem that, uh, that uh, the Secretary of State Kerry will continue to go back and forth until he... Uh, has some type of breakthrough, or is there a specific point where he's going to say, well, no, that's enough, I, you know, I've been here enough and nothing's happened? I think that he, for now he's going to leave. He has a, he has a meeting elsewhere in the region, but uh, it's possible that he'll come back here. Um, the, in the Palestinian Authority, uh, Chairman Abbas is continuing to insist on preconditions he still wants a complete uh, freeze on Jewish construction in Judea and Samaria, and uh, he's still holding firm on that. 
Uh, he also still wants an agreement uh, on uh, borders uh, from the uh, 1949 armistice line, uh, otherwise known as the 1967 line. He wants that as a precondition just for entering talks. We're not agreeing to that. The Prime Minister has not agreed to that. He refuses to agree to that. And until that, as a precondition, is removed, uh, Israel is not going to go forward. And we're at a stalemate because of it. He's so, just not budging. At what point is the Secretary of State going to get up and say that the Palestinians are the ones who are basically holding up the talks with these preconditions that have been mentioned for years back and forth? And it's non-starter on Israel's side. And the Palestinians say, no, it has to be, uh, you know, a starter before in a precondition. I, I have a suspicion. It hasn't been said publicly. But I have a suspicion that that's been said. And I'll tell you why. Because Kerry is not twisting arms here. I don't see any arm twisting. There are people who will disagree with me. But I will tell you that I don't see any real arm twisting. He's setting the bar a lot lower this time. He's not saying, my goal is to uh, get an agreement. What he's saying is, my goal is to get talks back online. Mm -hmm. He seems to know that this is a non-starter and not because of Israel. He doesn't have a problem coming here to Israel. He's been back and forth a lot. He doesn't have an issue going back and forth to Israel. Right, I don't they, think that's the issue here. They, they said that he may he may have been back and forth more than Henry Kissinger. Yeah, yeah. I think he I think he knows who he's dealing with. John Kerry is is not a novice in this region. He's been here before. He knows who he's dealing with. More effective than the, our previous Secretary of State. Yeah, I think it's not a contest. <laughs> Different focus at this point. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Also, we've got, he's also got other fish to fry. Don't forget he's dealing with Turkey, and he's dealing with Syria. Nobody has time for this right now. There are other things going on, and they're a lot more serious than Mahmoud Abbas playing games with we want this and we want that. We've got some bigger fish to fry up well, north. But that, of course, never comes out because uh, the number of uh, Syrians killed is nearing uh, 100,000. If it hasn't gone over that, nobody really knows the, nobody knows the real numbers. And yet none of that is, uh, is being screamed at by the, uh, by the Arab countries surrounding them. They're not worried about the number of Syrians. You know what they're worried about? Who's going to get the pieces of the pie after all of that wreckage is cleared away, who's moving into Syria? Right, the Hezbollah. The real estate. Yeah. Hezbollah, which is backed by Iran, of course, wants a piece of it's that, Iran. a big piece of that. It's between Iran and Al Qaeda, and that's what they're worried about. And what's who's the view in Israel? Uh, what's the view in Israel right now of the new uh, Iranian uh, president? Um, it's more of the same, just in a nicer package. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But uh, the, the red, it doesn't seem that the rhetoric is out there right away as quickly as we would have assumed with uh, with Ahmadinejad in the past. Yeah, no, and in some ways it's more dangerous because with Ahmadinejad you at least understood that you had the enemy. And in this nicer package it looks a lot safer and it's not.
Right. Well, uh, you'll keep us posted, of course, as always. Uh, we'll join up with you next week. Uh, we're in the period of the three weeks and heading to the nine days. And Tisha B'Av, certainly uh, not the best of times historically in Israel, uh, but uh, hopefully that tide can change. That's true. And we're waiting, watching, and we're here. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us, Hannah. Have a great week. Have a great week, everybody. That is Hannah Levy-Julian with our news from Israel. We'll be getting to... Uh, Professor Lawrence Schiffman, very shortly, here on JM Sunday. Back to some music in the meantime. Here is Kol Zimra with Kolainu.
Kol Zimra's a cappella rendition of Kolenu here on JM Sunday. Matis Weingast with you. It is uh, 8.15 in the morning. I wanted to remind you that JM Sunday is brought to you by Adorama, which is more than a camera store. It's the official electronics retailer of the Nachum Siegel Network. The number to call is 1-800-223-2500. Adorama Imaging and Beyond since 1975. We are here with you until 9 o'clock this morning, following which will be an encore presentation of the Book of Life with Charlie Harari. And the uh, programming continuing all day long on the stream, jmtheam.org, nachamsegel.com. And Nachum will be back tomorrow morning, 6 a.m., bright and early with the JM in the AM. Remember to go to our Facebook page, JM Sunday. Like the page, and you can get all the latest information and find out what's going on, including the fact that we are going to be speaking right now with Professor Lawrence Schiffman, who is the Vice Provost at Yeshiva University, a world scholar on Dead Sea Scrolls and Jewish history. And we welcome Dr. Schiffman back for an encore visit here on JM Sunday. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Great. How are you doing this morning? Fine, thank you. <laughs> it is, uh, it's early. You're, you're talking to us from the, uh, uh, the, the depths of uh, Stern College, I think. Is that the secret location? Actually, or? I'm in the- I'm actually in uh, Stern College now at the uh, Schottenstein dorm because I have a meeting starting here at 9 o'clock ah. at a research project. And so we're, we're uh, sitting here now having the interview. Well, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to join us early this morning. We appreciate it. We have listeners from all over the place uh, who are uh, tuned in right now, including uh, somebody from Israel who I, I don't know if um, – 
Let's see. I guess it, since it's on Facebook, I, I'm allowed to say it. But when somebody posts, it's not every day your father meets the Pope. <laughs> I guess uh, you know who, to whom I'm referring. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, I, I have a daughter who's very, very active. I'm not sure which one actually you picked up, right? But I have actually one. Hadassah. Hadassah. Oh, Hadassah. Well, Hadassah is a professional in the Jewish Internet scene. Uh-huh. And as a result of that, excuse me for making an advertisement, <laughs> but she is, and uh, she wonderfully handles my uh, website and uh, other things, social media, etc., which uh, she actually does professionally. So uh, she's known to a million people online, so they get that usually all the time. Beautiful. Two other daughters who live in this country and are actually often online as well. But. Right. I'm sure they're uh, they're tuning in. Uh, so you went to the uh, Vatican this week, and you met with the Pope as part of an organization called the International Jewish Committee for Interreligious Consultations. I would hazard a guess that most people even in the Jewish community, do not know about this organization. What does this organization yeah, that's, do? That's Virtually nobody knows what this is. <laughs> this is a limited consortium, which is made up of a group of Jewish organizations for the purpose of representing the Jewish people officially, one might say almost diplomatically, to the Vatican, for which it was created, as well as the World Council of Churches, the uh, Eastern Churches, and other such bodies, or those are the three with which it actually operates. And uh, this organization has representation from quite a number of other organizations in it. For example, organizations like the Anti-Defamation League and the uh, AJC, the American Jewish Committee, and uh, those WJC, the uh, World Jewish Congress, and then from the religious movements it has, the Reform, Conservative, and Orthodox American rabbinical organizations, as well as synagogue organizations. It has uh, an Israeli arm, which represents uh, Israelis, and uh, basically this uh, group of organizations works together to provide a kind of uniform and unified a representation of the Jewish people in these areas. And it is actually, from the point of view of the Vatican, it's the official Jewish dialogue partner. Now, I had the privilege, I'm a representative of the OU there, and I had the privilege for the last two years, it's ended literally, I guess, uh, today, right, to serve as the chair, because July 1st is the new chair, Betty Ehrenberg from the World Jewish Congress, who I'm proud to say was a former student of mine, so Betty Ehrenberg will be taking over, but I I was the chair of this organization for the last two years. It has a very limited purpose, which it does very well, and I can tell you humorously that now that we have a pope who, uh, even though he's conducting his affairs in Italian, right, his main language is Spanish, and Ishkik would come out as Ishkik. So it's not exactly the most felicitous name, but it is a very felicitous organization because of the manner in which everyone works together for a very important cause, representing the Jewish people. Now, these would be the Vatican. There are two other main groups that the Vatican deals with, the chief rabbinate and the state of Israel, with whom it has diplomatic relations. And every these three groups coordinate in a way as to make sure that we basically are always putting forward type of united stand, which is what the Jewish people need in this type of situation. So your organization has met with previous popes also as the organization, am I right? Yes, yes, absolutely. As a matter of fact, uh, the organization came into being in the 1970s, and it was a result of the need to have a Jewish representative in response to Vatican II and the, the changes in the Catholic Church. 
and that's what it was created for, and that's what it basically conducts those right. types of relationships. And, and there are probably some people out there, as, as I'm sure uh, in almost anything, who would say that um, there shouldn't be this type of dialogue. There's no need for this type of dialogue. You would obviously disagree with that. Well, and, this, is, uh, this is a very big mistake for the following reason. We have two very important interests in this situation. But we can say, actually, there are two categories in which one of them is subdivided. First of all, it is appropriate for us to be friendly with people. This is just the right thing to do. If people want to be friendly with you, you want to be friendly with them. But if you'll take my second, that's, that's just a kind of altruistic point. But if we'll move to the second point, the Jewish community's interests require that we have friends. And the reason for this is because especially there are two issues we're most concerned with, anti-Semitism and the state of Israel. And in both of these areas, our relations with the Catholic Church have advanced our situation tremendously. We've seen a tremendous reduction of anti-Semitism. Look what the Pope said on Monday when well, we met with him. I, I want to give you... To, to... I'm sorry, I wanted to give a quote on that. Uh, the, yeah. the Pope said on Monday, quote, because of our... Com by, by the way, did he speak in English or in... in uh... No, no, the Pope, the Pope spoke in Italian. Okay. And so they, they distributed a translation at the event. Okay, so this is what he said, quote... Because of our common roots, a true Christian cannot be anti-Semitic. And he didn't say, you know, uh, shouldn't be or... Uh, or if I, he said right, can't be. And then he said also... It's forbidden. According to current Catholic doctrine, it is forbidden to be an anti-Semite. And he says and here... Is yeah, and he says, he added, that the Catholic Church firmly condemns hatred, persecution, and all manifestations of anti-Semitism. Those are pretty strong statements coming from the Pope. Yeah, and this is a very special pope from this point of view. He has a lot of Jewish friends. I think everybody knows his only book was written with Rabbi Skorka, who is a conservative rabbi from uh, Buenos Aires. And uh, I had visiting with me Rabbi Saka recently, who is the Sephardic chief rabbi of Buenos Aires. And he told me he's already visited the pope in, in, in Rome, and he, he's a friend of his from uh, Buenos Aires. This is a very different situation. Although we've had, we did have a pope who grew up to some extent with Jews, this is the first pope that we have for whom relations with Jews are natural in the sense that Catholics in America would meet Jews at business, would meet Jews at other places, would see them around, would know about Jewish holidays and Jewish things, and just know about it as something natural, rather than it being some kind of purging process of purging anti-Semitism. For him, there never was any anti-Semitism. Right. It's like America. And that's and because this is an amazing thing. And that's because of his close relationship that he had and still has with the Jewish community in Buenos Aires, not yes, just as yes. a whole, not only that, personal he's, friendships. Right. He's been behind everything, for example, the condemnation of the Amya bar bombing. Everybody knows this was the Iranians orchestrated, apparently, the bombing of the Jewish community center in Buenos Aires, and uh, people, a tremendous number of people were killed there, and he uh, was, of course, out front in his opposition to that. He's visited synagogues numerous times for Jewish holidays and stuff like that. It's just... This is a different kind of person from this point of view, and it's so natural. And, of course, that's why within a few weeks of his becoming pope, he'd already accepted the invitation to visit Israel. When does he, he plan on going? He just, the, the date isn't known. The, the question is whether it's going to be in two in, if it's still in 2013 or most likely in 2014. Wow. These things take a long time to arrange, and they have to be arranged very properly and correctly in order for it to work. If you remember, during Pope Benedict's visit, there were a few gaffes that went on. Right. And I think that this guy doesn't want to get involved in any of that. They want to plan it properly. Absolutely. So uh, in, no, it'll take some time. In your remarks to the uh, Pope as uh, head of the organization, 
you said, uh, quote, we hope that this meeting will also give us an opportunity to explain briefly a variety of issues and problems where we feel that the Catholic Church and the Jewish community can work together to advance our common goals. What were some of those uh, issues? Well, if, if there are some of them that actually uh, pertain more to our needs than theirs, but the most important common need is to educate the people in both of our groups about the changed situation. Because we here in the Jewish community, you said before, that people say, you know, should we be doing this, should we not be doing this? Now, of course, I just want to say, in, in, uh, say in, before I, I go on here, that unknown to most people in the Jewish community, there is a group of uh, clergy, Catholic clergy that come to the United States from Europe every year. And they are welcomed everywhere in the Jewish community from right to left to extreme right. Everybody welcomes these people as visitors. That is to say there's virtually no one left who in a private situation does not feel that we should deal with Christian clergy, especially Catholic clergy, and help them in their quest to have a, a non-anti-Semitic Catholicism. Right. And I think that's what has been going on. That's virtually a consensus of everyone, even those who don't participate in some of these wider Jewish communal activities, which might involve non-Orthodox Jews. But everybody agrees that this should be done and is doing it and participating. Mm -hmm. Now, what I wanted to say about the uh, question of the, the, the real question of what the issues are for us. The biggest issue for us is that they haven't gotten across to their people well enough, and they admit this. On the contrary, they, they want to work with us on this. The message, and we haven't gotten to course to our people their new message. Now, we owe it to them to do that. I know it sounds a little funny. It's like the when did you stop beating your wife? Why do we owe it to them to get our people to know that they are no longer anti-Semites? <laughs> One can argue in different ways. It's their problem, not ours. They used to be anti-Semites. It's their obligation. The reality is that that's not a relationship of friendship. We've established now a relationship with friendship, with a friendship with them. And it's paid off in many ways. I'm just going to give you one small thing because very often we don't like things that somehow come out of there, the Vatican, because the Vatican involves a very, very big operation that has people living in Middle Eastern countries, etc. However, when the Israelis landed on that Turkish boat, the Pope's statement, Pope Benedict, simply was, this is why we need peace in the Middle East, something every one of us, I think, would agree with. Mm -hmm. And that was worth all the work that we've done over the years. Interesting. Because previous to Israel, to the opening of relations with Israel, you would have had a very different type of statement. So we owe it to them, in my view, to tell our people that they're making a genuine effort to be our friends. Wow. Now, and I think that that's just the right thing to do. Now, the second thing is, though, that in the case of their publicity, mm -hmm. it's more important because we need them to get across to their people, like in the Ukraine, let's say, or in some of these places where there are no Jews, like Africa, that the church is not is against anti-Semitism. Exactly what the Pope said. What we just got out of our investment in holding this meeting, 20-something people going over there, and they all have to pay their fare, and they all have to pay right, these are representatives of organizations, and the meetings we held there, we got more than our money's worth in that statement, which was a genuine statement of a person who really feels the way the Pope feels. The point I want to make is that so both sides, however, need to do more to publicize it. And just to show you what I mean about friendship of working together, so we met right after the meeting with the Pope in the afternoon. The officers of Itchkick met with Father Lombardi, who's the Vatican press secretary. And we weren't always satisfied with things he said, and we decided we have to become friends with him. And he's a nice guy, and we became friends. And Father Lombardi has proposed that we use Vatican radio 
as well as the new internet radio they're working on, in order to spread that message. And he's asked us for lists of people who can be interviewed in a number of languages, if you know any rabbis who speak Swahili, and all <laughs> kinds of, uh, he's looking for people that can, that can help in getting this message across, and he's, he just genuinely wants to begin to use that particular medium that's available to him. And that's what I mean by working with them. Now, um, the by the way, thing, if I, if I may <coughs> interrupt for a second, you know, the, it works the other way. We can have them uh, come on to the Nachum Siegel Network, and maybe it'll be the first pope that will address the Jewish community. On well, the, the pope won't uh, speak right. very good English, but if you go for <laughs> if you go if you go for the cardinal, Archbishop of New York. Right, right, absolutely. Uh, we are speaking with we were speaking with Professor Lawrence Schiffman, who uh, is a vice provost at Yeshiva University, and uh, is a chair for the next few hours, at least, of the International Jewish Committee for Interreligious Consultations, and a member of it representing the OU. Uh, talking about your visit with the, the Pope this past week, you had mentioned uh, about the. Uh, uh, the 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 Vatican secretary, the press secretary, Father Lombardi. Now, uh, he's one who's been there for a while, right? He's not the, a new person that yes, this pope brought right. in. Many people forget. Right. I think many people forget that the Vatican is a sovereign nation in itself, into itself. It's not simply. A, it's not a suburb of Italy or anything like that. It is a separate country, and the pope yeah. is, uh, the pope is a, is the leader of that nation. Do you think, from what experiences you've had, that Whatever is disseminated out of the press office, for instance, is cleared by the Pope. And as a follow-up, no, point, it's too big. A, see, the problem is it's too big an operation. Uh-huh. Look, for example, they had a, we had a fiasco with them about I guess a year and a half ago. They held a conference of bishops from the Middle East. The conference itself was okay. A few things were said that we wouldn't like, but it was certainly not an Israel bashing event. And uh, one has to be realistic. You know, some of their people don't agree with us. Right. But anyhow, they held the event, and then some. Uh, priest from Newton, Massachusetts, who was an Eastern Catholic uh, priest, like I said, I think he's a Maronite, right, made terrible statements at the press conference. Mm-hmm. And the next morning he was condemned by Father Lombardi in the newspapers in Italy. But the fact of the matter is he made the statement. Right. And there you see the example. They condemned the statement made at their own event. They are not run the way the Da Vinci Code would have you believe. <laughs> the Pope you know, there's, there's a foreign minister, and there's a secretary of state, all these different people who do different things. And that's why our organization, beginning about four years ago, stopped simply dealing with the Vatican's office. They have an office which is made for dealing with the Jews, right? They, okay. they, the Commission for Religious Relations with the Jews. Because that's fine for religious relations, but we need other relations. And right. I, I gave in my speech an example that I gave very subtly. I didn't want to tell the details because I was afraid of the world press picking it up. But I gave an example of the fact that when the previous pope went to Cuba, so I wrote a letter to the Secretary of State, Cardinal Bertoni, asking them to take up the issue of Alan Gross, the Jews in prison in Cuba. And I got back an email from the Religious Relations for the Jews office from Father Hofmann, Norbert Hofmann, who's a, a great advocate of Jewish issues there, and he said, we're doing it. Right. Okay. So I figured, okay, I didn't expect much to happen from it. Let's be realistic. Sure. But six months later or so, uh, Archbishop Mamberti, who is the foreign minister of the Vatican, wrote me a letter saying that we did it, and we brought it up on humanitarian grounds. Now, the reason this is important is because the more people bring up people's names on humanitarian grounds, the less likely it is that they'll be mistreated. Right, it's on the radar. That they're gonna let... Right, it's on the radar. So the bottom line is that... If we got to the point where we can ask a private favor of the Vatican like that to help a Jew in distress, and they do it, and then they confirm it, 
I was very touched by his letter, and I wrote him back then, and I said, I said, to get a letter like this, just it looks routine, you know? You did it, right? But the fact of the matter is that with the relationships that we used to have in the past to be in a situation that we can go to them and ask them for a favor like that, and they do it, simply shows genuine friendship. Sure. There's no other reason to do it. The... And what I'm saying is that that's the new situation. And by the way, someone will come to me when some statement comes out of there six months from now that we don't like right. and say, oh, but you said this. The answer is, A, it's not centralized, and B, are not us. Right, right, we have exactly. To that reality. Exactly. But just as nations of friends, and you mentioned the Vatican as a sovereign nation, let's say a funny story. I taught in the Pontifical Biblical Institute and the Gregorian University once for a few months. And my office was in a building where if you walked down the hall, you would go from Italy into the Vatican. Right. Because <laughs> the building was divided in half between the sovereignty of Italy and the Vatican. And I sort of jokingly told some of the people, they were priests on the other side of the building, I said, I hope for you guys saying if you call the police, they'll come. Yeah, yeah exactly. Because it's, yeah. In the middle, it's in the middle of Italy, but it's the Vatican. Right. It's the Vatican. Vatican, you know, I, right. I hope the police will come. Who, who, pay, God who, who pays taxes on the building? Uh, how about the relationship yeah. with uh, with Israel? Uh, will that uh, will there be a practical effect? The difference uh, with this pope? You well, think, there already has ways? been a practical effect. There's already been a practical effect in many ways. And then Cody Evroni, who is the Vatican ambassador, uh, the Israeli ambassador to the Holy See, as they call it, mm-hmm. who's a fantastic guy was uh, we ate dinner with him, and we met with him before to be brief. We always do this. And what he's seeking to do is, he says that the relations with the Vatican are tied up in one area. There's an economic agreement that was never signed, even though we have relations now for whatever it is, 15 years ago. It was never signed. And they're trying to finish this agreement. It's taken a long time. And he feels it's necessary to widen the relations from the ceremonial level to actually do some things together. And he has some very good ideas. And I think there's a need for uh, Israel and the Vatican to begin to expand on that relationship, which now is basically a formal one and a very friendly one. However, we did hear from Archbishop Mamberti uh, six months ago at a meeting uh, that, the, uh, that, the, that the Israeli relationship is a very, very good one and very important to the Vatican. So I think that there's a need to make it better, but it's still there. I should also, by the way, mention that I was at the Pope's inauguration. I was going to mention and that, at yeah. The inaugur- yeah, at the inauguration of the Pope, he singled out in his public speech the Jewish guests wow. for a special welcome. And even though there were a lot of 130, actually, we had 15 representatives, there were 130 at a reception that we had for other religious groups, we were singled out as being the most important other religious guests wow. there. Co- and it's, it was a great, great honor. And, and again, it was a nice opportunity to, to greet him. And I was on Italian TV saying Mazel Tov, because I went to <laughs> Mincha. I didn't know it would be on TV. I went to Mincha that <laughs> afternoon in the great synagogue, in the main synagogue in, in Rome. Right. And, uh, and, and uh, somebody said to me, I saw you on TV saying Mazel Tov. <laughs> They caught you there. So it was kosher food at the Vatican? Is that what you're telling me? No, they don't give out food. You oh. can get kosher food. At the, we, we've had kosher food at the Vatican premises. Okay. There's no problem getting kosher <laughs> catering there, but they, right. there's no food at these events. Uh, so, so much to talk about, so little time. Uh, touch upon a couple of other uh, things quickly. When you were with us in February, uh, we were talking about um, uh, history and, and different things, and uh, one of the things mentioned was um, different uh, uh, finds in the world, uh, archives and, and things like that. And you had mentioned that the Vatican archives relating to the Holocaust and whatnot 
were scheduled to be released uh, in 2014, I think it is. Uh, yes. Do you think that is going to change? Will there be more openness in terms of the Vatican's history uh, and what will come out in terms of the Holocaust and other things with this new pope? Well, the new pope has already stated in his, actually in the book with Rabbi Skorka, he's outwardly stated that he believes they should be released. Now, the archivists, the two sides to this question, there's what we might call the political side, and they kind of keep something quiet or not, which of course we don't know until we see the material. Right. However, the most, the, there's also the, the actual archival organization question. You don't just open archives, they have to be in some ways organized. We are told that they will be organized by 2014. Without saying this too loud, I would say that if they came to us in 2014 and said, look, we have three quarters of it done, we're releasing that. Okay. The rest will take us another year. I think people wouldn't mind. Okay. But if they are going to, again, basically extend the curtain on when they open these materials, then we will be rather disturbed. Uh-huh. So that's why we're making the point to the Pope already, and I made it in my address, and the press picked it up as if it was the most important thing. I made the point that we are looking forward to seeing this released as we were promised. Now, Cardinal Bertoni, the Secretary of State, when we met with him, he told us he agrees with us. He also thinks it should be released. But again, you know, everybody doesn't control everybody else. There's an right. archive, and the people who hold controlling that are, are in charge of it. Now, I have to say that the... Um, problem here is that there is a guy who's trying to get him canonized, made into a saint, right. before the material was released. And and because of the problem, yeah. Been. Right, and we have been telling them over and over and over again that this is not in their interest. God forbid it turns out that he's problematical, it will cause a tremendous, tremendous rift with the Jews, and there's no point to it for them to take a chance on being embarrassed. And I think a lot of the people know that, because we don't know who's going to leave office now, who's going to be replaced. True. By the way, I want to just say one thing. People should not think, because they read this stuff in the newspaper, that it's in the interest of the Jewish people for him to fire everybody. We have a right. lot of good friends there. Right. There's some people maybe that he should fire, but I mean, from our point of view, we're cons- we, we are not concerned with their inner situation, women like fixing the bank or something like that, which has to be done because there was no money laundering going on in the Vatican. <laughs> I hate to say it, unfortunately, it's now familiar to us as Jews. Yeah. But the point is that uh, with, with us, we have a lot of good friends there, and we a lot of those good friends we would love to see staying. So it's not we're not necessarily you know sweep them all out; they're all no good. Right, of course. For the not uh, our business. For, for the eventual release of the documents, is there already a committee in, uh, of scholars uh, that will officially take up this body of work? I mean, once so it's see, open, there was obviously. a committee of scholars. There was a committee of scholars. It's almost like fifteen years ago or something. There was an agreement. And unfortunately, the Vatican didn't, when they asked more questions and wanted to see more material, they told them no. no uh-huh, and then uh-huh. the Committee of Scholars, three Jews and three Catholics, all resigned because they said, we can't do scholarship, wow. we can't see the material. But you see, I think there was a mistaken approach there. That was the approach of let's investigate Pius XII. The truth be told, what's in there for Holocaust studies, there's information about people who died, where they were and how, it's all kinds of stuff in there right. for Holocaust studies that is, and for Holocaust victims that is very, very important to us, way beyond the, the record of Pius XII, which is probably a record that he did some things, maybe could have done more, didn't speak out, we wish he would have, mixed record. Right, you understand right. my point? We don't know. And, 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 yeah. Yeah. But it, we it, do, it, I tell you, I think we already know that he wasn't a Nazi, right. and we already know that picture of him doing Zig Heil is from World War One. 
Uh-huh. That's a picture which has been put on the front of the book Hitler's Pope. It's from World War One. That's been been proven. So I, I think it's going to be somewhere in the middle without him. Right. But the archives, in terms of the value for understanding the whole relationship of the Catholic Church and the Holocaust and all this, and I have a feeling a lot of it may even come out to their credit. Right, we right. all know people who were saved saved by 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 uh, Catholic institutions. So from my point of view, I think that even if there'll be some mixed records here or there in what comes out. I think they're going to be better off when they let it out. Right, and I, by, I hope we'll sure, see if, it soon. If they do that sooner rather than later, then by the time they release the whole body of uh, of archives, it'll be a non-story. You know, it'll be picked up a little bit uh, again, I think but that's right. a little bit. Uh, we we I think have you're right. we, it's eight forty in the morning, and I know you have to go to the conference. Uh, switching topics for a second, we're in the period of the three weeks. So I, I have two questions to ask you. One is tied to the three weeks. One is tied to the English calendar. Tomorrow, as I mentioned earlier, tomorrow is Canada Day, which is a federal holiday in Canada celebrating the enactment of the British North America Act, which united the uh, three the British. Um, three British colonies, Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, and the province of Canada, into what is now Canada. And on the 4th of July, we commemorate, of course, in the United States, the adoption of the Declaration of Independence. Um, two historically uh, great events occurring just a few hundred years ago. Uh, our history, of course, is thousands upon thousands of years. But address for a minute, if you will, your feeling on uh, our being, our, our, the importance of our celebrating or commemorating at least these events uh, as Jewish people living in these countries? Well, I would say the following right off the bat, that America, and to some extent Canada, because it has a derivative culture from both us and England, both of these countries fulfill what is called American exceptionalism by scholars. There's a lot of debate about this, and some people think it's not really true, but I think it is. In fact, every time a president of the United States says it, I really agree with it. That is to say that the United States comes to its conduct, both internally and externally, with a set of values, not that we've always kept it, not that we've been perfect, with a set of values that reflects an openness that we have benefited so tremendously from. And there has certainly been no other country like ours that supported Israel in the way it has. And for our Canadian friends, their country was the one that took in Holocaust survivors when others would not. Now, the reality of the situation is that these two countries have provided a very special opportunity for Jewish culture to flourish in an open and natural way, in a way that no matter what we say has not happened except in the state of Israel. And I think that we have to be uh, very thankful for this, and we should celebrate these occasions. I think we're sometimes too quick to think, oh, what do we need this for? Why should we pray for the American army or something like that, right? And this kind of stuff in the Jewish community. And I think that we have to really be aware of the extent to which we've benefited right. from this wonderful opportunity. Absolutely. And in the period of the three weeks and coming up the nine days, uh, if you ask most people, they will be able to rattle off the things that you don't do during this time period. It's a period of mourning. It's a destruction of the two temples. In a nutshell, what, what are we missing as to what the, this period of time really is about? Well, I think the main thing, if you want to talk about it really, that we often miss is taking sufficient time to talk about how the destructions came about, what both political and ethical, moral, and religious errors and sins, or whatever you want to call them, we committed, and how these all caused the destruction. And this is why, frankly, I'm not a fan of turning Tisha B'Av into Lashon Hara Day. Because Lashon Hara 
sounds to me like having to do with my telling someone whether I like your program or the way you interviewed me or something like that. Right. And, and I think we have to understand in a much greater uh, way, and I think this brings us back a little to this Ichkik organization, the ability of Jews of all kinds to work together and to come with common goals and aspirations. This is what saves us throughout the ages. And our inability to, to do that and our allowing our inner struggles, which are legitimate, to then become both external and sometimes even internally violent, these are really the most important lessons. So I want to quote the Boston Rebbe in the 1970s uh, when we lived in Brookline. I remember the Rebbe saying, this Ronald of Racha, I remember him saying something very beautiful. On Tishabov night before keynote, he said, people say that we don't need Tishabov anymore because we have a Jewish state. He says, no, he says, we need it more now because we have to remember more the dangers to us from the wrong type of approach to one another and to the issues that we face. And that with the lessons, the lessons of Tishabah for us become more important when we have a Jewish state, not less important. Excellent, excellent point. Uh, yeah, your organization could be changed a little bit, or you could have a subsidiary, the International Jewish Committee for Inner Religious Consultations. For, yeah, well, with, we need such a thing. You're yeah, right. It's not a us. joke. We, uh, we don't right. have that. And that, that you're right. That's, the, and that's what should be reflected on in this particular time period, uh, even uh, 2,000 years later, uh, it still has an effect that we see it today every day, unfortunately. Uh, Dr. Lawrence Schiffman, thank you so much for joining me this morning on JM Sunday. Once again, it's uh, been enlightening as always, and uh, good luck with everything that you're doing. Uh, we hope to uh, hear from you in the near future. In November, I think, uh, your uh, great work that you're doing with uh, Louis Feldman, Professor Feldman, and uh, James Kugel, uh, outside the Bible, it's called. It's a three-volume set. Uh, we will, uh, and it talks about um, the writings that most people don't know about that were not, I guess, not part of the official canon. Am I right? That uh, right. was put together. So that's a early post-biblical literature, really, from Second Temple times that most Jews really have no idea about. So we will talk about that and uh, and and uh, the effect that it has and why you know that that should be studied also uh, in the uh, in the near future, probably right after the summer before it comes out. Thank you again so much. Have a great day. Okay, thank you. Thanks. Bye. Thank you, Professor Schiffman. Uh, much appreciated. It is 8.46 in the morning. I know that he had a very busy day. He has a very busy day ahead of him, and we thank him for joining us. We're going to go back to some music here on JM Sunday before we end up. Uh, next up is uh, Nachum Stark from uh, Sephira Kumsit. So we're playing some music here on the three weeks. Here's Elon on the JM Sunday.
Sunday. My thanks to everyone for uh, tuning in this morning on the last day of June 2013, June 30th. It's the 22nd of Tammuz, and we are in our three weeks format. We'll be back live next Sunday morning. Erev Rosh Chodesh. Rosh Chodesh Av. My thanks to Hannah Levy Julian for bringing us the news from Israel and to Professor Lawrence Schiffman for joining us this morning here on JM Sunday to have an extended discussion on his visit with the Pope and on a little bit we talked about the three weeks and a couple of other topics and my thanks to him for joining us this morning uh, following the show Book of Life with Charlie Harari an encore presentation great programming throughout the day uh, tomorrow morning Nachum will be on at 6 a.m. on uh, WFMU and on the stream at 9 o'clock the Israel show with Mayor Weingarten tomorrow morning he is going to have Rabbi Gidon Rothstein, an interview with him. He wrote an article last month called Don't Call Me a Zionist, I Don't Deserve It. Find out why. Tomorrow morning on the Israel Show on the stream, jmnam.org. Have a great day, everyone.